For those of you that have already listened to ser- the sermon, the podcast begins at about 14 minutes. Hey, stay. If you stay, we're liable. We're liable to keep picking. So. <laughs> Salisbury. That'll be the first time the cops ever show up to a church service. <laughs> you guys keep it down. <laughs> Howdy, y'all. My name is Tiffany Keith. I'm the preaching pastor of Heartstrings, Bluegrass, Worship, and Wild Hearts. Welcome to Give God an Inch, where we open ourselves up to God's nudging. I will read one of my sermons, read, not preach, totally different things. What I write and what comes out on Sunday mornings are not the same. After I read the sermon, we are going to take a little bit of time to reflect on it what I said, why, and maybe what hit the cutting room floor. Tell me you're a disciple without telling me you're a disciple. I'll go first. Maybe you've heard of this TikTok challenge, the tell me without telling me challenge. In one of my favorites, a woman poses the question, hey babe, tell me you know me without telling me you know me. Immediately cut to her husband sitting at the edge of the bed with a wig like her hair on, shivering, wrapped up in layers of blankets. Turn the heat up. To him, putting on makeup, I'll just be a minute. To him, demonstrating how to clean the house correctly. How long are you going to let the clothes sit there? We are going to try it out really quick. Tell me you're worshiping online without telling me you're worshiping online. Maybe you drop in a wild heart emoji or wave. Don't worry, I'll give you a second or two. Tell me you're worshiping in the parking lot without telling me you're worshiping in the parking lot. Maybe a honk or two. For the last six weeks, we've dug deep into who Heartstrings is as a worshiping community and what it means to be wild hearts together. If you are new or you missed one, it is worth it to go back and watch the sermons, listen to the music, pray the prayers. Now, as we enter into Lent, we are going to talk about the practices, the things that we do to keep ourselves pointed towards God and God's beauty. We are going to be looking at those things we do that set our lives apart, that set them on the path towards being deeply committed disciples, to shaping our lives into the lives that God would have us lead. What are those things that we do that make us disciples? Those things that tell me you're a disciple without telling me you're a disciple. The things that point our towards our commitment to live a life that is set apart for God. The next five weeks will be a more practical sermon series, a list of things for us to do. Now, I'm not a rules person. That's wrong. (laughs) I am a rules person. I just think they're made to be broken. So I need rules to break rules. To do, I do, however, believe in the power of goals and intentions, guidelines to support my personal growth. I believe in brushing my teeth twice a day, taking my vitamins every day, creating a budget monthly, not really rules, but really good guidelines to build a beautiful life. The practices we will talk about for the next five weeks are not rules. Instead, they are guidelines. They're not a way to earn God's love because God already loves you. They are not a way to earn your way into heaven or eternal salvation. The practices of our faith shape who we are. They proclaim whose we are, and they take our very intentional commitment. Tell me you're a disciple without telling me you're a disciple. Well, what about prayer and worship? If you prayed five times a day, would that indicate a deep commitment to following Christ? If you thanked God when you woke up in the morning before you went to bed at night and bowed your head just for a second before each meal, Thank you, God. Tell me you're a disciple without telling me you're a disciple. What about worship? If you showed up here or online each and every week, even if you were on vacation, 
even if it was Wednesday instead of Sunday, if you made the commitment to not miss worship more than five times a year, tell me you're a disciple without telling me you're a disciple. If you prayed five times a day, worshiped every week, would it tell the world that this journey of faith matters to you? Would it shape and form you into deeply committed disciples of Christ? Would it deepen your relationship to the God that created you, the one that redeemed you, the one that sustains you and gives you life? If you scratch the surface a little, you will quickly realize you have to answer one basic, fundamental question first. Do you believe we are spiritual beings? Do you believe that there is something more, something bigger, a mystery that goes far beyond our flesh and bones? Do you believe that when God molded us from the dust of the earth, the hands of the potter shaping and creating and molding, when you take a breath in and feel the life-giving oxygen fill your lungs and course through your veins, is there a beauty, a truth, a life, a spirituality, a mystery that goes beyond oxygen and hydrogen and iron, are we spiritual beings? If you don't think we are, if you believe that what is here is all that is, that there is no mystery, no eternal hope, nothing bigger than you, then when we stop breathing, that is all there is. We are glad you are here. I believe you will get something out of our time together. We have great music, a fun community, a place to connect. If you believe that we are spiritual beings, wouldn't it make sense that we should spend time connecting with the sacred, with the divine, not to cut that part of us off, to spend time caring for our spiritual being, just like we do our physical one? I had a conversation last week with another pastor about a sermon she had preached. She told her congregation that you can't stay in the worship forever. You can't build your home and worship. You have to leave at some point. I laughed because of pastors, we so often feel like we are begging people to come, trying to convince them that it matters, trying to convince you that it matters enough to invite your friends to share on Facebook, to show off, show up more often than you miss. And she's telling her congregation they can't stay there and set up tents, that they have to return to the world. Then I got to thinking, she's right. If worship is feeding our souls, worship should be feeding our souls. Then it should be most of the time, not all of it, but most of the time feel like something we desire to do, not something we have to earn our way into. If it's a response to the love we experience in our relationship with God, rather than a way to earn that love, shouldn't we feel fed when we come? One of the ways we are offering support through the sermon series is with the Church of the Resurrection materials, which includes sermons from Adam Hamilton. In his sermon for this week's teaching, he talks about the Hebrew and Greek word for worship, one being to lay prostrate before God, and the same word talks about worship, sort of like a really excited dog when its odor is walking through the door. Have you heard about Bunny, the famous talking dog, always asking to play with his friends? Have you seen the videos, the excited, falling over over himself, way he responds when he gets to see them? Shouldn't the opportunity to be in the presence of God bring that overwhelming sense of joy in the same way, in that same way? A couple of weeks ago, I put up an ad for Ash Wednesday, knowing that we were a go. Rain or shine, a few inches of snow, mics that don't work, buses that won't start. We were going to do it anyway. The simple touching of hands, of human contact, felt so important to me. So when it started snowing and it looked colder and colder, I knew we were a go. Every time we've had to adjust to weather, we've learned more, been able to do more. We've been able to adjust faster and more flexible. So this time when the snow started pouring down, Brian, our tech director, suggested we might consider a fully hybrid service. So for the first time, we could be in the parking lot, online, and inside, in person, all at the same time. It is really cool. 
Robin, who has been part of us from the beginning of the shutdown, even a little before, joins worship every week, comes to our Bible studies and book discussions. We have loved having her around. So when she jumped online on Wednesday telling us that her daughter and grandson were going to try and attend, I was so excited. When a young woman and her son walked in just a couple minutes later, I smiled. You must be Robin's daughter. Welcome. After she got over that moment where I'm pretty sure I just felt like a random creepy stalker, stalker she figured out how I knew she'd, been the, she'd be there. We chatted for a minute and then settled in for service. It was so cool. Powerful. The music was really amazing. It was actually beautiful outside because it was really beautifully calm. Not too cold, snowy evening. We knelt before each person, drawing a cross on their hand, reminding them of their humanity and God's love, welcoming them into the season of Lent. We sang, hummed, prayed, listened to some amazing preaching, and when it was over, Robin's daughter Julie and her son Harrison stayed and talked with Kent and Marjorie and me, the power of that night still floating in the air. Julie talked about her mom. I didn't know that Robin was what was our person most into evangelism. Now I do. Apparently, Robin has been inviting her daughter to worship, reminding her of worship, talking to her about worship, and there is something worth coming to here. Of course, Julie is like, Mom, geez. Then Julie looking down at Marjorie, who's at eye level with her six-year-old son, like he's the only person in the room, started talking about her year. As you can imagine, it hasn't been a cakewalk. She talked about her mom encouraging her to come to church. With tears in her eye, she sort of, she said it sort of felt like a hot dish for her soul. She really needed that evening to be there. Which, of course, started an entire conversation about hot dishes and casseroles. <laughs> Fred Craddock once recalled a conversation he had with a young woman, 28 years old, at St. Mark's Methodist Church in Atlanta after worship. She said, this is the first time I have ever been in a church. Really? Craddock asked. Yeah. Well, he said, how was it? (laughs) She said, kind of scary. Kind of scary? She said, yeah. So Fred asked her why. And she said, it just seems so important. You know, I never get to do anything important. This just seems so important. Listen now to this ancient call to worship, Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come, with his, come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord is God. It is he that made us, and we are his, and we are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. May God bless the reading, hearing, and doing of this word. Well, Tiffany Keith, I have the big question for you. Oh no! Oh crap! Yeah, yeah. Okay. Are you, are this you is new. Hot, are you a hot dish person or a casserole person? <laughs> I had no idea what hot dishes were. <laughs> I mean, so I, I didn't. I did this in the that part of the story, which is super funny. That it okay. This is an example that every single moment in writing a sermon we think about right so in reality she said hot dishes and then instantly corrected it and said casseroles like she caught herself um so I knew what she was talking about had she not done that I would have had no clue (laughs) well I'm a casserole person who married a hot dish person so I oh no Wisconsin yeah Wisconsin Minnesota Dakotas they're hot dish people because of all the Lutherans up there but anyway that's really not the most important thing I want to ask my name is Kent Ingram 
First United Methodist Church, Colorado Springs. And I'm Tiffany. I, there were lots of things I really liked about the sermon. The difference between this sermon and I'm guessing the whole series from the last sermon series was how practical it was. And there was, there was a lot of clarity around specific practices. Is there anything different in writing a sermon that is uh, practical versus writing one that's more theological or theoretical or visionary? Did you have any difference in your experience of writing it? I, I, I think in some ways, I think it might have been a little easier. Be, I mean, both harder and easier. I'm starting a new sermon series and I, I have, a, you know, there's set parts that are taken up already. So I start with TikTok. So that's a couple minutes of it. And I'm going to probably have to start with TikTok every week, even if it's a little bit. So, but that has nothing to do with practical. Um, to spend two paragraphs saying that we should pray five times a day, that we should worship every single week, um, even if we're on vacation, is easier to say. I think it's harder to hope people, like, I don't know if people respond, right? I guess I, I, I guess because it's so clear, I worry more. I worry that I'm like, pray five times a day, there's a yes or no to that, right? <laughs> there's a no, or there's a, I guess I'll try. Um, so being that clear and being that practical, it feels in some ways easier to write and also easier to reject by the, by the congregation, right? Sure, I, you know, and again, I'm just guessing. I'm, I'm guessing that there are people for whom their spiritual life is nurtured more by ideas and they love the ideas and the theology but I suspect that you have people that we all have people who who are looking to the clergy for something specific how do I pray what is how do I worship what what would would create these practices and habits in me that would nurture a deeper spirituality for me so I suspect that you had some people for whom that was a very moving sermon. It was it was clear and specific, don't you think? Uh, yes, and I mean, and this is the case where the preacher is preaching to the preacher. <laughs> like I'm like every like I wake up in the morning now. I'm like, oh, I really should be praying. Like I like a couple times a day. I'm like, well, I can't. So that's another part of it, right? I also, if it's going to be this practical, it's stuff that I should be able to do. And it's like, oh man, <laughs> I gotta pray. And and like I, I'm way more aware of it. And that feels really good to be aware of that and, and to be going on this journey with the congregation. Mm. Right? Yeah, yeah. I wonder, I'm just thinking out loud, I wonder if there's an opportunity in the coming weeks to to sort of mention that you succeeded or that you failed. You know, the, the other morning when I was praying or by the time I got to lunch, I realized that I hadn't spent the, the two times in prayer that morning. I just wonder if there's a, a place to either be confessional or encouraging about the disciplines, this one or the other ones that you're going to talk about going forward in, in the midst of your sermon. I hadn't really thought about that till now, but it would be interesting to mention that, I suspect, at some point in the series. I mean, that might be really good. And and the other side of it, um, I, I can go deeper with it too, you know, because I just said, I laid out a really easy five times a day prayer, mm -hmm. but at the same time, it can be more, right? Like, it, I mean, not more than five times. We can pray more than five times a day, but like one of those five prayers can be more. So one of the prayers that I really, really like is the Wesley covenant prayer. So, you know, like if I would, if I wrapped back around and, you know, and we talk about giving, if I talked about, you know, the other day when I was, you know, in prayer as I was ending my day or beginning my day with the Wesley Covenant prayer, because that one is such a, a giving prayer. So I think I, I'm saying two things. One is I can use myself and my possible and likely total failure at some of these as I stumble along um, as ex illustrations and examples. And they're not as separate as we think, as I think we all want them to be, right? 
Sure. Praying five times a day and giving sometimes are the same thing. Sure, sure. Well, that's good. And and you talked about th these practices shaping you. That was kind of the image and phraseology that you used. And and it's like it's like any other habit or practice that you do to you know, lose weight or to gain strength or to learn an instrument or, or whatever it might be. That that the, it's the, the habit is not about just meeting some obligation. It's about being better at something or deepening something. So I think I think that's the other thing that needs to come back. It's it's not that you accomplish something if you remember to pray five times a day, but you've accomplished something if, if you as as a person create the habit of praying five times a day in such a way that it shapes you. I mean, is, isn't that really kind of what you're hoping will happen? Yeah, and this week, as I'm working on my sermon, so this week is uh, reading scripture, and it's another, so it's another habit to insert into our lives. And this sermon, which I didn't have a chance to do it last week, I talk more about that, about how it's hard to create those habits. Yeah. You know, how is it that we can fit them into our lives in such a way that they add meaning um, versus just being you know, something to, to wrestle with and to be upset about and to be annoyed that I didn't get it today. Um, but how do we, every, like, one thing I don't like that I did, I, I guess I like that I did, but I question that I did is um, when I was writing the sermon, you talked about this example of going to worship of the person that gets up and super, super excited to go um, or the person that wakes up and it's like, I don't really want to go, but I'm going to go anyway to worship. Well, which one is faithful, right? Like which one is like, is, is doing this in their faith. And, and, and I kind of in the sermon kind of laid it out as a, shouldn't it be just super excited to go every day? And, and I know I kind of said that that's not what I meant. I, I mean, but, um, when we're learning new habits, it is really hard, even if they're good habits. I mean, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. It, it, a new habit is not like, what about bunny, meeting bunny's friends and super excited. New habits are really hard. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, and they, they take time. You, you don't create a habit in a week, you know, or, or five weeks, probably, uh, you know, that it has to, it takes the, the spiritual muscle memory takes a while to sort of, to sort of kick in there. And I think, I think that that's, I think that that's part of the message too. It's not, it's not just to do these things, but it's let these things shape who you are. You know, I, the, the, the other thing that, that I found interesting in this, and you talked about the excitement and the bunny and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the, the, you know, but, but it came out of this, this question around whether we're spiritual beings or not. And a couple of things came to my mind. One, one, on the one hand, offering people spiritual practices is, is not so much a challenge as it is the answer to the question, well, how can I be a good spiritual person? How can I deepen my spirituality? So it's not like you're pointing your finger and saying, you got to do this or you're bad. It's assuming that people are saying, how can I deepen this? How can I go deeper? And the answer is, well, you, you create spiritual practices. So I, I think that's interesting. I also, I also want to hear you talk more, a little bit more about what you mean when you say that human beings are spiritual people. That's a part of who we are. So I just want to address that first thing. I, I never thought of it about it that way, but it's one of our jobs is to empower, to, to hand out these tools, to explain it to people, not to explain it, but it not, not to give these down as requirements, but are we not doing our job if people are requesting these or, or needing to deepen their faith or asking these hard questions so often religion has been like, here's the answer. It, instead of what I love about Methodism is it feels like here's the tools. Hmm. That, like here's the tools to find your answer, right? So here's hymns that we sing. Here's the ones that move us, that, that deepen our faith. You know, hey, here's the scripture that we read. Here we give. 
you know, we serve, we do these things because people ask how they want to, like, how do we deepen our faith? Like, these are the tools we give to people. Um, And I love that it's not just, you know, here's the answer. Yeah, it's like, it's like, I mean, I was taught that the Ten Commandments, which we read as sort of restrictions on our life, things that limit what we can do in our freedom, were really the answer to the question, well, how can I respond faithfully to this God who loves us, to this God who liberated us from slavery? What would an appropriate response look like to a God like that? And I think that's close to what the practices are. They're not requires you said in your sermon not the requirements to make god love us but but the answer to the question what's an appropriate response to a god who already loves us so talk yeah. to me about humans and spiritual beings. oh i don't even know how to talk about that um i like the words and the red one and the written one that felt more like that moment of poetry that i have in my um in my sermons so often I wish I could have read the words and sometimes I have to you know the performance wins over the reading of the words but it it for me is is that there is a mystery um and I know everybody not everybody sees it this way and it's very much me um I I believe I experience life as though there is more than just what I know. I I don't experience God or the mystery or the sacred as something that I have contained with my, within my idea of what it is. Mm. Like, I feel like God is beyond, um, is beyond my understanding. The sacred is beyond my understanding and in that includes, and I think I said it outside, I preached the sermon twice. I think I said it when I was outside, but not inside. I, it also includes for me connection. So we are somehow connected to each other. When, when the person in another state you know, that, that I know or know of is, is in a place of anger and hate, and pain that affects me because it affects my world. We're, we're connected. We don't get to just be ourselves alone, standing alone. Our decisions don't affect anybody else. They do, you know? I, <laughs> I have these weird spiritual moments, these weird spiritual insights um, sometimes that I, I don't know if they're true. They just sounded true at the time. Um, I, I was, um, I had this moment and it was probably maybe like a year ago and all of this stuff was going on in my life. And so I had this moment where life is crazy and I'm somewhere between sad and guilty and afraid and, and just in the depth of crap of life. And I had this, like, just this, insight that that this is a moment where god is experiencing it too like like we we see god as this outside knowing it all being like he like outside seeing what we're experiencing but what if what if spirituality and the connection to one another and god is god actually experiencing that moment with us all of the moments with us. And there was something about that that was new that, that for me invited God into all of my experience rather than just judging it, but experiencing it with me. Um, Maybe there's something about spirituality and us being spiritual beings, both in the in the idea that we're connected in the idea that there's more than us and in the idea that that is connected to us. Yeah, that's great. That's profound. To me, it also speaks of some yearning, some desire, the the realization 
that there is more leads me to want to know what that more is to, to connect to that more. So well, I think, I think it's, a, I think that's a powerful question to ask. These practices are not just um, habits to make you a better person. They're, they're, they're practices that come out of the reality that we need to be connected to that, which is beyond us or that, which is mysterious, maybe not beyond us isn't the right word. So um, let, let me change a little bit. I want to, I want to talk a little bit about worship. That was sort of the second part of this, second half of this. Why is worship important? Why do we need to worship? Right. So you have a saying, you need to say what, like you should talk about just really second, really quick for you. What's real? Mm. Yeah. Re re reality is, is existence the way God intends it to be rather than the way we have messed it up. And so, yeah, you're right. When I, when I, when I, when I invite people into worship, I hope I'm inviting them into the real world to catch a glimpse, at least, of the real world, the way the way it could be, uh, the way it can be, with 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 the, the kingdom of God first and seeking first that and, and everything else around it. So, and and in that, so I know I'm pulling you. Know, you know, I know your answers to these, so I'm going to ask you anyway. <laughs> um, like. So for us, for you, and, and I know this is true in the way I designed, in the way I designed Heartstrings, we designed Heartstrings. There are moments during an hour that we're gathered that are worship for you. Mm -hmm. And there are moments in that hour that are not. Well, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's hard to put it quite that specifically, but, but you're right. There, I mean, I, I imagine worship is sort of this, this bubble that we invite people into the real world out of the, uh, the brokenness of the world that we find ourselves living in most of the time, which, which of course is the opposite of the way most people think about it. You know, they, they talk about life outside worship as the real world. Um, and, and, and I, I know that, that there are moments in that space and in that time that at least for some people can, can move them outside of that, that bubble, that that presence of God. I mean, the announcements. I mean, I try, I try hard to move through those quickly. But you know, we live in a world where we have an institution that we're responsible for. And we have to grease the wheels, right? I mean, we have to, we have to invite people to give. We have to tell them about programs that are coming up. And so, so that that's just a part of the the time that we have together as a corporate community. You know, for some people, children's time is is powerful. And, and, a, and a, a deeply spiritual part of their morning. For other people, it's like, you know, what, what, when's the pot roast going to be done? We got to get through with this childish stuff. So, so there are times in which, in which worship, where um, people can leave that presence of worship. For me, it, it usually comes down to when the element of time is introduced. That is, right. when, when people are thinking about time, you know. Which, which means that, that, you know, the sermon can be the place where, where <laughs> people leave worship, right? You know, I mean, I, I've been in churches with a guy, mostly guys, stand up and say, I'm going to preach a three-point sermon, and the first one takes 18 minutes. And everybody in the place is doing the math, right? You know, 18 times three is what? You know, so they're, they're gone, you know. And so once you introduce the element of time into a worship service, that for me kind of bursts the bubble as well. So yeah, I mean, I, I invite them into this place, but there are those times, and, and it's really hard when you're outside, right? I mean, because you've got a million distractions that are going on. That can, that can, oh gosh. Sitting in a car. I mean, you know, there's just a thousand things that can go on. So yeah, you're right. There are things <laughs> that can break that bubble. So in a follow-up to that, to kind of pull us back to worship itself, we did something new this week and we're going to keep doing it um, as we invited children. <laughs> and when Marjorie and I were talking about what are we going to do with kids? Like I really, really kids are important. Um, and it, uh, now it might be too early, but we wanted to do something for Palm Sunday. And then we're like, okay, so if we're starting with the idea of doing something with the kids, Palm Sunday, you know, how do we go into that? And we decided, you know, if we start inviting them into the party, you know, inviting them to Sunday school, 
you know, at the beginning of Lent. And so we talked about all these places, you know, could we put them in the playground, but that's so far away and parents can't see their kids. And, you know, can we put them just across the street, right outside the church, the parents could see them and, you know, but then we're on a, in a parking lot or by a road, like it could be either that felt like a lot. And, you know, we could put them in the back of the parking lot. And finally, I'm just like, Marjorie, you know, I just threw this out there. What would happen if we put the kids at like a worship table right there in front? Mm -hmm. So that way um, we're not removing the kids from worship for the first, you know, 12, 13, 18 years of their life, and then putting them in and deciding that they should find meaning that instead, what if we put them in the middle of worship? Yeah. And, and allow them to ask questions, to, to really like, what's going on? Why is it going on? To have activities for them, to have them close enough that they can engage in the service, which is really cool because, you know, I started the sermon out with, you know, tell me you're a disciple without telling me you're a disciple. And the second service was over. Marjorie was like, that was the coolest way to begin this sermon because the kids were like, what's a disciple? You know, how do we, what are the things that we do? So that led the whole conversation um, for Sunday school, which was happening during the sermon right in front of me. Right. I mean, there's this, this cool moment, but having kids in worship brings me back to the next question. If kids can be in worship, then what is worship? Hmm. If, if we are giving our children worship, the gift of worship, by inviting them to be there. What is worship? Which is the question you're asking me and I'm kind of giving it back to you. Yeah, I, I, think, I think it's an expectation of the experience of the sacred. Um, and I think, I, think kids, I think kids can do that, right? I mean, we, we've seen it happen with, with, you know, ringing the bell. And I mean, you know, Marjorie talks about the, the candle that they light for their prayers and they put it out and the smoke goes to heaven. I mean, they have some, some liturgies and some sacraments and some practices that they do that invite these kids into the sacred. Now, what, what may feel sacred for them may be distracting to us, to me. I'm an old guy. I like order, you know. Uh, but but I, think, I think maybe they're better attuned to that sacred than I am or to others. So I think... I think if, if they can if they can understand that that this space and this time it doesn't have to be quiet it doesn't have to be somber it doesn't have to be serious it can be delightful and fun and creative but this is sacred space I think maybe that's that that's that's worship right that's worship enough anyway what like part of me I I don't know as you're talking my head is spinning right so if we spent just spent a lot of time talking about what what is being spiritual well it's having a mystery it's having something bigger than ourselves kids live there Mm -hmm. their entire life is dependence on others outside of them their entire life their world is a mystery you know, I, I talk a lot about um, the the things that we lose when when we don't have kids in worship. So we often talk about bringing kids in worship, and I just did it. I heard myself do it. You know, we're bringing them into worship so we can teach them about worship, mm-hmm. and we fail to realize the things that they teach us. Yeah. So what are they going to teach us? They are going to teach me patience. <laughs> They're going to, they are going to, you know, emulate curiosity with all that they are of leaning into the mystery that is their world and seeing something beyond them in it. Um, they are going to teach me joy and patience. Um, and I think in some ways they're going to teach me worship. If, if worship is connecting to that mystery they got that. Yeah. Their world is a mystery. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. So, so put them front and center, Tiffany, and let, let, let the people look at them. Now, it's, it's easier when they're in their own cars, 
right? Because they're listening to you directly over the speakers from their car so they can watch it without the kids disturbing them. They only disturb you <laughs> and, and, and the leading worship, but that's okay too. You know, that's okay too. I think it was, it was beautiful. I, you know, I was preaching somewhere else and, you know, had, I saw that picture when I was coming home on Facebook of those kids and that was just moving, you know, there they were in the middle of it. And I bet, I bet when you get the band out there alive again, some of those kind of things, it's just gonna, it's gonna be even more interesting and more powerful. I hope they dance. I full on hope that the kids watching bluegrass are brave enough to dance, right? That they teach us how to worship through letting go and dancing. That would be cool. You want me to lead them? No, yeah, because you're with the band. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not too much. So, well, that, that was a beautiful, beautiful thing that you guys did. You and Marjorie did. And, and uh, it was just moving to watch it. So thanks. I, I think you're right. I think maybe we learn how to worship from the kids again. Maybe maybe that's what we need to do. Um, let, me, let me talk just a little bit about the, the, the ending of the sermon. I, I don't know if we're ready to go there or not, but... but um, you, first of all, technique, and, and, then, and then back to the point that you made, you, you used a Craddock story, um, which, you know, I love Craddock and can hardly go wrong using a Craddock story. And you, you ended the story uh, by saying that worship's important, and then you stopped, which it is- almost made me cry. Yeah, well, it's, it's powerful. And, and, and so from a technique perspective, and Craddock is the best for this, you know, you, you, you stop without having to explain, but the story is clear enough that it gets you where you need to go. So I, I thought that was, I thought that was really cool. I, I noticed this both at the nine o'clock and the 10, as I got into the Craddock story, because he is a good enough story writer, Mm-hmm. it naturally just his writing naturally slowed me down yeah you almost stopped before I got to the end yeah I, I watched a credit sermon today or parts of it and I, I was amazed you know I grew up you're probably not old enough to remember Paul Harvey um, I remember Paul Harvey remember Paul Harvey well Paul Harvey he, he was such a an interesting speaker and he's on radio but but he would he could have these long pauses and he would hold you. And I remember preachers trying to imitate Paul Harvey and then they have long pauses and they would lose you. <laughs> it's like, say, did you forget where you were? What, what's the, you know, everybody panicking. But I watched Fred Craddock today. And it was a sermon later in life. And, and he would have these long pauses and, and it just made you lean in more. You know, he just pulled you. It's like, what, Fred? What, Fred? What are you going to say? You know, and and um, so so that's good. I noticed you, you did slow down. You did slow down. And you get to that last word, you just pause because it's important. Um, so anyway, I, I, thought, I thought it was a great ending to the sermon. And then you read the 100th Psalm, right? Make a joyful noise to the Lord. And, and mm. uh, there it is. There it is. That, that's, that's important. It's not, and we're a church that, that for our sort of traditional services, sanctuary services, they have high production values, right? I mean, we, we are practiced and rehearsed and, and everybody knows their role and there's not a lot of hemming and hawing and, and, and jabbering around there. But Psalm 100, the psalm you chose, chose began with make a joyful noise, right? Mm, it was yeah. about authenticity and honesty more so than high production values is that is that that mark your community more you think man that has to (laughs) (laughs) i mean i i am preaching in oh my gosh i think you know, 20 degrees something this, this week was 37, but man, it was windy. You know, I, I mean, it was like, 
you know, I had kids in front of me. I have bicyclists like driving by, stopping, driving by. <laughs> I have people. So, you know, you never see this online, but if, if you're standing where the camera is looking at me, just to the right of me, like a quarter of a block, there is uh, garages that seems to have people, not every Sunday, but often going through the stuff in that garage, like while I'm preaching, like um it's a challenge uh and then I went inside this week so the other thing uh, that I noticed this week that um it was a little bit of a change being inside with people Mm. I mean it was the first time that I had preached to a sanctuary full of people in a year right and um I I don't know I forgot it's not the right word but I forgot what it is to preach to a room full of people that feels that that feels like you're connecting you know um and and I don't know so it 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 feels like it's not about it's not and it won't be about that height I mean you guys do it really well stop and I want more fluid I want more life I want more brokenness um, because I think in the broken is where we find courage Um, and and I cannot wait until I get and not for the higher production value but just for the less distractions (laughs) to be inside well the second word in your tagline is bluegrass right tell tell me a little bit about what you've learned about bluegrass music as it relates to what you want in worship. Does that question make sense? Um, no, I have thoughts, but... Well, how, think about what Steve does, Handel's Messiah. Okay, does anybody ever just, does he ever just point at somebody and say, you, sing a solo, <laughs> right? I mean, it is, it is scripted, to the very 16th note, right? I mean, there is nothing left in there for for you to improvise, to make up. Wild, I mean, bluegrass being wild kind of thing. I mean, how do they know who's gonna play the solo? I still don't know. (laughs) I still don't know. I don't know. Somebody looks at somebody and nods, and they're like, okay, (laughs) I'll play it. I know in practice, somebody was like, Oh, I don't think I can do that. And they're like, oh, Josh, you can do that little claw thing on the banjo. Yeah. And he did it. And I'm like, I, I, in every other music program in the church, they would have practiced that for a week. Mm-hmm. And we're just like, no, no. I mean, I'm just like, wow. Um, yeah. I, I am blown away by these musicians. They are, um, they are so brave. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know how their instruments make the sounds that they make and they just stand up and they do it. And I mean, you sang a solo even like this is the kind of music that says, like, you can come sing a solo with us. Yeah, it does. It really, it, it, I mean, there, there is that sort of spontaneous, um, powerful sense. Now, now, that's not to say that they're not practice. I mean, Shannon, the guitar player, I heard somebody said that he gets up every morning and plays his guitar for an hour before he goes to work. So these are not unskilled people. They're not just making stuff up. I mean, they, they, they have the disciplines, they have the habits, they have the practices that allow them then to, to be spontaneous and to, to allow them to be wild, right? To have the wild hearts. So there's- They're cool. That's your worship. I mean- that's so cool. Yeah. Like, because I think so often um, we just assume it just happens, right? Yeah. Um, that, that we can just go out and be wild hearts. Mm-hmm. But it's not that easy, right? I mean, it's not that it's, it is that easy. It actually is really, really easy to pray five times a day, but it's so hard. Like, I mean, that's the paradox, right? Yeah. Of, it's not hard it's so easy pray five times a day go to worship every week surround yourself with people 
you know, not, not everybody, but have, have your one by one piece of paper. That's, these are the people whose opinion matters because, because, um, because they help you be wild. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a powerful way to sort of pull this together. Isn't it? There's the, the call to practices to, to deepen our own spirituality, to recognize that so that we have the freedom to, to worship and respond and be who we are without having to worry about, am I good enough? Am I right enough? Am I, you know, I, I, I think that's a powerful image. And that, that defines your worship, right? I mean, there is a certain, um, a certain looseness to it compared to the tightness of our other services. And yet the people who play are talented musicians. The people who pray are talented pastors. The person who preaches is a talented preacher. So you bring the gifts and then have the freedom and yet for the spontaneity and the, and the joy. So that's pretty cool. That's so, so very cool. Yeah. Very cool. I had, a, I had something in my head, but I'm pretty sure I have totally lost it. So I apologize, but I think you have a question for me. Are you, are you almost wrapping up? I am almost wrapping up. I, oh, know, okay. This is, it, it, this might be an easier question for this series or maybe not but what what do you hope happens what, what do you hope these how these people respond to your sermon this week that would be it right um i hope they come to worship every week mm-hmm. and you know I, I love i love 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 that it does not have to be sunday morning anymore mm-hmm. now do i hope they're here on sunday morning so we can connect totally is wednesday count totally does going to the South Dakota church one week and this church a different week. Yes. Totally counts. Um, I hope they worship every week and I hope they pray five times a day. Um, so, but the, the second question, which you didn't ask this week, you're supposed to ask is what was your response? What was your response? Tiffany, to your no, no. You're supposed to answer that. What was my, your response? response? I was asking saying, response, I don't know, whatever. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't get to watch it in person. I watched it online. Uh, and, and my response was that there was a certain clarity and cleanness to this sermon that made it easy for me to follow and to want to do it. I mean, to, to say, I, I understand what you're asking me to do, and, and uh, I'm going to try to commit to do that. So I think, I think there was that, that, that simplicity of structure leads to that kind of simplicity of response. Yeah. And my name is Kent Ingram. First United Methodist Church, Colorado Springs. And I'm Tiffany. Uh, one thing I wanted to say, and you just kept going, but I think I'm going to have a problem with this podcast because we just said so many things that I want to say in a sermon. So, <laughs> so people are listening to this and they hear it preached and they'll know where it came from. <laughs> That's okay too. It never hurts to hear it twice. So what do you think? Should we send it back to the band? Let's send it back to those wonderful musicians. <laughs>